And we are live. Episode one of Welcome Everyone Overview Effect Podcast. We're finally here, Thomas. We did it. We did. This is uh I think twenty twenty nine years in the making right now. Plus plus or minus plus. Yeah, plus or minus twenty eight years in a few months. Uh, there you go. There all you within go. our tolerance. And I think, Dane, to mark this special uh, uh, celebration of finally getting launched here, you have gotten yourself, I heard, a, a, a was it a cinnamon-scented candle? That's right. Oh, my. That's the newest what, craze. What, what, what a joyous day. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going to leave it so, unlit until things start getting romantic, and then, uh, and then we'll light it up. That's actually why the the strip poker starts later. So we'll yep, we'll see yep, if yep. people want to hang around for that. I'm actually wearing so I can make sure that the the odds are in my favor. I've got like eight sweaters on. Ooh, nice. Came prepared. <laughs> I don't, but we'll see. But anyway, yeah, let's uh, let, let's jump into it here. So you want to go ahead and give yourself a, a quick intro, Thomas. Oh my, we'll keep it brief, uh, and we'll probably expand on it later. But my name is Thomas Dunlap. Uh, gosh, uh, anything science, anything physics, uh, philosophy, uh, man, that makes me, makes, makes my brain go. Um, so I really enjoy it and I look forward to having some great conversations with you, Dane. Hell yeah. Hey guys, everyone. My name is Dane Jordan and that's kind of the, what Thomas touched upon was the sort of genesis of the idea for this. We were actually previously coworkers over at Meta and found ourselves, often veering into very interesting topics that uh, convenient, like oftentimes didn't have to do with work, but, and so work would come in and we would be like, all right, well, let's, you know, let's truncate this or let's, let's get back to work. And so that's where the idea came into play. Like, let's provide grounds to continue those conversations because I enjoyed them very much and found them very stimulating and engaging. And we uncovered some sort of, shortcomings in our perspectives that we only were able to see through dialogue, right? And through discourse when often when you would think about everything, we have our own sort of perspective and that's what was fun to have, you know, kind of spar with our own, our own perspectives and see, you know, what, what kind of light Thomas can shine on it and play devil's advocate for each other. And yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely the sort of mentality behind the the genesis of this and we decided uh overview effect podcast would be a, a, a proper label a proper title for it and thomas had a really good visual f for that mm. i was just i was going to agree with you too dane when i in terms of the the way i think about it or something that's incredibly important to me is not to you know is internalizing your thoughts and rationalizing that's great and uh, gosh i wish i spent more time doing that I, something I, I i really enjoy but making sure that you're not you know part of your own echo chamber um and it's really easy to kind of convince yourself of something if you aren't able to hear how others maybe rationalize their position or how they come to their conclusion um and that's that's really one of the things that i enjoy uh, quite a bit is having intellectual conversations and thinking about different points of view uh, on and on any given topic, uh, to be honest, and being able to say, you know, that I'm open to always having my mind change or open to always having new input, um, new ideas that I can kind of use to maybe change my perspective and kind of uh, uh, tan tangent off of or to think about things differently. Um, so that's definitely something as I've gotten older, that's been extremely rewarding for me. And that was one of the reasons why I thought when 
So Thomas and I have been discussing this, the idea of a podcast for actually a couple months now. I recently moved to New York, so I had a lot of moving related expenses and logistics to to deal with and in the past few weeks we had discussed like oh why even you know what's what's the point of a podcast like let's just have conversations we don't need to necessarily record it and put it out there anywhere but i think the one that at least correct me if i'm wrong here thomas but the one that kind of resonated with you was the idea of opening the door to other perspectives and sean because we have i would say similar perspectives in a sense on a lot of things, right? Which is great. It, it creates harmony, but also, as you mentioned, can uh, lead to echo chambers, as you, as you mentioned, and sort of a, a group think mentality. And the only way to sort of break that sort of mentality is to start vetting other ideas. And so that's why uh, I think it's pretty exciting to be able to put this content out there and see what sticks, what doesn't stick, what resonates with people, what people may not, what it may not resonate with people. And, you know, I'll engage that in, in part of a conversation. And yeah, that's ultimately why we, we frame this as a journey too, right? Is this sort of exploration into these ideas of what can work and all these hypothetical ideas. And, you know, who knows, maybe uh, an idea that we discuss on our topic can ultimately lead to, you know, some, some changes, positive changes uh, for the world to see. So that's very exciting oh. for me. And I'll, I'll add on, this is something that I was thinking about later after I had, you and me had already come to the conclusion that we'll be doing a podcast. But one of the reasons that this is so important to me is to show uh, something that I pride myself on is, again, being able to kind of change my opinion, change my mind on things. And I like the idea that I'm able to capture uh, a snapshot, uh, a point in time where I'm thinking the way that I do. I express how I rationalize, how I came to a conclusion about something. And that'll change regardless if it's, you know, from Dane raising absolutely horrible points, which, you know, just wait till you see kind just of what wait. brings up. <laughs> just wait. Uh, it's really bad. Uh, I tantamount to garbage. Um, uh, but the, the those views change over time, right? And it's it's great to be able to have kind of a record of that, to to, to remember a point in time where you thought a particular way. And to be able to reflect on that and, you know, kind of grow from it. So I absolutely look forward to that aspect of it, too. And that's something that um, is deeply motivating for me. And and on the on the flip side, right, not only as a historical reference, but sort of pushing the boundaries. That was something we had discussed in we actually took an extensive amount of time, several hours to craft our intro that you guys heard roll out in the beginning. And we wanted to that was one of the reasons that one of the sort of paradigms that resonated with us was this journey, right? This exploration is mm. there are all these ideas and ways of thinking that are pretty common or pretty commonplace where if you were to raise the idea of, you know, let's if, to take the idea of physics, like gravity has 9.8 meters per second squared force, you know, on earth, like, yep, that's constant. That's not revolutionary. That's not anything controversial that's just established that this is what we've all agreed upon um is how, how gravity affects us on this planet but also discuss ideas that may not have that sort of common understanding or common sort of agreed upon uh, effect on us not only as like physical beings but more so conscious beings in this universe and see you know how far can we 
explore into these new realms where maybe there's not a whole lot of science to justify or solidify these ideas or maybe there's a little bit but it's pretty sparse and you know sort of susceptible to a lot of speculation but to me that's is personally exciting right because personally this is what we've discussed thomas and i have discussed before in in many of our conversations is i find science to be a bit of a, a lagging factor in terms of there, there are some ideas that science sort of originates right but there's also like once it's proven in science then it becomes real like if i'm not mistaken uh theory of relativity was first a very scientific albert einstein there's a theory but a lot of these ideas um if i remember back uh, was it copernicus who had the who refuted the what is it uh who who, who pushed the the heliocentric model with all the um, planets revolving around the sun was it copernicus i forget who it was yes yeah, yeah uh, but he heliocentric model copernicus yep yeah right but at the time that was blasphemy right and and if i'm not mistaken he was was he not executed or excommunicated or some very severe punishment as a result of these because it conflicted with the teachings of the bible that everything revolved around the earth right but that was an idea and think about how far ahead he was of our time and he had some metrics and some tools to be able to verify that but i don't know i think that's what's really cool about a sort of medium like this is we have that unfortunate for very fortunate for us we live in a time where we don't have to fear you know excommunication or, or or death for for these ideas especially in the country we live founded on freedom of speech uh, where we can explore these ideas and we can we don't have to fear any negative sort of repercussions and you know who knows maybe we can push the boundaries of what's conveyed as um you know rational a rational idea take something that's irrational and rationalize it yeah uh th thinking about the uh, kind of touching upon that yes we are both very fortunate in that you know we can for the most part freedom we have freedom of speech and say whatever we want to say but there are some things that uh at, you know considering myself an intellectual being able to kind of sit and ponder upon things you too jane there are some things that are tab that's taboo in our society and I do find myself, there's some things in particular, and I know we'll touch upon those later, uh, that where there's a hesitancy to not want to talk about it because of how, you know, society may look at it. And that's the absolutely wrong feeling to have, right? As soon as you stop talking about something, or you prevent that uh, talking about something, the, the fact is that's where there's danger. That's where things kind of snowball and get out of control. So I absolutely look forward to talking about things that others may consider controversial. Uh, maybe, you know, some people don't, but... You know, uh, it is something – everybody's got thoughts. Everybody's got feelings. Maybe they're informed, not informed, but being able to rationalize your position and being open to new information is so critical. And just to have those conversations in the first place. Uh, so that's another reason that this, this type of a format, this type uh, being a, doing a podcast like this uh, is uh, is very rewarding. Absolutely. And, and that was one thing that definitely made a lot of sense with us when this idea came up is that – I think there's no such thing as like a bad idea. I mean, I think there are in terms of application of ideas, right? Like there's like maybe less effective ideas than others, right? But I think the thing that Thomas and I, or the thing at least that I appreciate that Thomas does and I provide or I make a concerted effort to do is to 
really kind of come in with everything open-minded. And although may, at the surface something may seem quite silly or con non-practical or you maybe even have this sort of knee-jerk reaction of, oh, that'll never work or, oh, that's dumb or, oh, that's stupid. Like, let's kind of like take a step back and, and kind of question ourselves like, okay, maybe at, at first glance this, this seems dumb and stupid. and But let's kind of dig into that more and like what – like what are the circumstances around this idea? Where did it come from? Is it what are the 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 motives behind promoting this sort of idea? Because there's always a whole bunch of motives behind ideas, some altruistic, some not so altruistic. And you know, explore that at the very least. Give give every idea the the light of day and really dig deep into it to see like how much merit is this is this an idea? Is this something that is in a rough draft, still needs a lot more refinement, or is this something that is ultimately quite, um, you know, is, is quite, can be quite powerful? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think one of the things with, and, and, and think of these ideas is, Ted, I'm a huge fan of TED Talks. Have you, you've, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with TED Talks, Thomas. Oh, I watch them all the time. Yeah, I really love in their intro they have a quick blurb from some speaker who says we have to believe in the unimaginable. Like we have to have faith that even though this conflicts with all of our modern paradigms, like we have to just sort of accept that this is how it works. I love, I love that mentality. It's like, Hey guys, this is going to be weird. This doesn't make any sense. It conflicts with everything, but this is how it is. Like we have to, you know, let, let's kind of take, take this and, um, as truth and like an open and, and embrace it is yeah something yeah. very powerful and the, yeah yeah it's, it's something that i've i you know the, the lessons are what you would tell your younger self even though you probably wouldn't listen I, I i can only imagine me being able to get the chance to go back in time and say okay thomas yeah you know 18 year old thomas I, I trust me you want to do x y and z or this this view that you have is wrong and I can just imagine myself being like, that guy's a fucking asshole. I don't believe anything he's saying, getting into an argument with myself. But anyways, through what I'm getting at is that there's some benefits to getting older, especially with uh, the time that you think about things or maybe why you land a particular way or feel a particular way. But the, the you know, I think that's a good actually question that I have for you, Dane, which is because uh, that's what it made me think about. If there is a quality that you have that you kind of, I guess, in the vein of the topic we're kind of what we're discussing right now, what do you kind of in, in terms of uh, what's a characteristic of yourself that you really are, are you say, defines you as an individual that you're like, fuck, man, this this makes me Dane. This is something I'm really proud of. Uh, I guess something that I guess the first thing that comes to mind is uh, being supportive of people. I, I find that. I was having dinner the other night, and uh, so I'm Jewish for, for our listeners. So I was at a passenger mm. seder and a fun little. And, and yep, Dane. Let, let me ask too. I, I so I'm not very familiar with Judaism. So what's a Passover seder for a layman? Yeah, so Passover seder is essentially the remembrance of the exodus of the Jews from mm. Egypt and sort of the circumstances around that and um, the sort of historical you know, or not historical, but more biblical sort of context around that. Um, is this an, is it done annually or is it? Yeah, done... it's annually. It, there, there's, I think the, the, um, it's more, I know the 
Hebrew calendar is more lunar based than our calendar. So that, that shifts a bit every mm. year. Um, so there's, I don't have the, the most concrete answer involved with how cyclical it is in terms of days, but yeah, it is roughly annually, uh, I would say give or take a bit. Um, but anyway, so I was, was sitting next to one of the, the fun little sort of flavors that the, um, the host Rabbi Levy was, or rather involved with this was the having a portion of the Haggadah, which is the, the text that's read during the, during the Seder read in different languages. And he said, let's see how many different languages we can, can read this in. And, um, someone was reading it in Mandarin, which is not a very common language for a Jew to speak, of course. Um, and I'm thinking Mandarin and I'm thinking Ch Ch the, what, uh, official language of China, right? It's Mandarin. Yeah, it's Mandarin. And I believe Cantonese as well, but I think Mandarin is the, the, the vast majority. But so, Hebrew, Hebrew text is being read, uh, uh, in, uh, read in Mandarin. Well, the, the English translation, he's essentially live translating it into Mandarin. I see. Yeah. And yeah, he was reading it and, and unfortunately a guest sitting in close proximity to me found it quite comedic because perhaps he wasn't quite confident in his reading of it. Um, and perhaps not, not the best example. It doesn't necessarily shine upon me, but I found that I never laugh at anyone regardless of in any pursuit that they are mm. in. I make a, a very concerted effort regardless of how much they may be struggling or they may not be proficient at whatever they're doing. The moment a laughter is, is involved, then that is an energy that tends to only inhibit their desire to pursue this journey. Cause any journey in growing is fraught with obstacles. That's how learning works. It's pushing through challenges, sorting, understanding new material, questioning, you know, absorbing these foreign topics that at, at first glance make no sense and having to, you know, really make a, a mental effort to have these topics, these foreign topics become something that now you can recite and as well teach others at some point. Um, if you get to the fuller, the far end of the spectrum of, of understanding a topic and what's, what's your, What's your mindset when you're able, so being supportive, I mean, it's easy to say, you know, I'm going to be supportive of you, you know, uh, Dane, I'm going to support you, but it's another thing to actually, to, to kind of embody that. So what do you, is there, is there anything to kind of shift your point of view to, 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 that you maybe that you do and, and, and really able to empathize or sympathize, or how do you get into that person's mindset? Well, I just think about it that. I know I kind of feel, feel like all humans in a sense, since this is just my personal perspective is we're all kind of like brothers and sisters that just got dealt a different hand at birth, right? Some people were born in affluent countries such as ourselves and, you know, take it, take a second to think about that. If we take a quick, you know, di digression here, or if we step back a bit, it's like, you know, we were born in the, I would say arguably the most powerful, if not you know, unarguably the most powerful and affluent and, country in the world. For the, and for those of you who don't know, we're both in Zimbabwe. <laughs> no, All the Zimbabwe's, our immediate Zimbabwe viewership just, just plummeted. No. 
that's, that's right. That, We're now banned from Zimbabwe. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's a consequence that we'll have to live with for the rest of this podcast. Um, I'm sure Zimbabwe has so many many beautiful aspects to it, but. No, we're in both the United States, and yeah, I mean, take a think about it. We 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 were given. I mean, if you think about the access that we have to the things on the day to day that we want, is is not. It's and it's really easy to think about, right? In Western culture, like, oh, we can go to the bathroom just down the hall. We can get some drinking water. But there are people, there are humans on Earth right now who don't have access to that, right? And we just sort of take it for granted. And so that that's, you know, when we, when we take a step back and we think about all these humans, like we could have been born in, you know, what's described as a third world country where we don't have access to clean drinking water, you know, 15 steps away from where we're currently sitting, or we don't have access to, you know, anywhere to, you know, use the restroom. So, um, you know, th now put ourselves in, in those circumstances and, um, you know, think about how that would sort of define us or, or not define us. So kind of bring it all back. I sort of view every human as, you know, we were just born with in, in a different place, different circumstances. And I find that those people who may not be so lucky, it's easier for, it's easier for me to understand any sort of shortcomings that they have to their personality, if that makes sense. Like perhaps they're a bit more angry. They, they harbor more resentment. Perhaps they, it's, it's more difficult for them to be generous either from a personality perspective or financial. I imagine there's both, but that's, that's kind of what, how I, my personal perspective is that those people who may not be the most shining people in the world have encountered obstacles in their life that they don't have the tools or they don't know how to navigate and thus they have been they've they've been stunted on their growth as as a human being i feel like all humans have a a sort of growth trajectory that if we all can grow i feel like the ultimate growth and this may kind of sound a bit um religious but uh a so for for context for any listeners uh thomas and i are both i would say i mean i, I don't want to speak for thomas but we've decided that we both look up to jordan peterson as um a model of of someone who embodies a lot of the character characteristic traits that we strive to embody especially through the means of this podcast and one of those, an idea that he had recently proposed that was interesting to me, and I think this is why he is personally religious, is uh, he looks at God as a sense of everything that is good, not necessarily as a omnipotent being that exerts will, but more so the best that a person or a best that maybe not even a person in like a fleshy form can be, but... Just everything that a is good. <laughs> yeah, fleshy. <laughs> a, a fleshy four. Fleshy four. <laughs> yeah. Fleshy four. Yeah, yeah. No, I like. I, I actually wanted to touch upon it, and not to interrupt your flow, but I want to touch upon something you said because I think that that's actually um, should be reflected upon more, which if you look at genetic differences between you and I, Dane, it's like less than, I think it's like less than a percent. It's something, yeah. it's like a, less than a, a tenth of a percent. It's something silly like that. We're so 
uh, on paper in terms of you'd, you'd say that, yeah, they're, they're pretty much the same difference. And so I equate that, or I think about that as hardware. We have the same set of hardware in terms of how our brains are kind of wired uh, in terms of maybe, I don't, you know, in terms of we're, we're both, I would assume for the most part, average. There's not too much of a difference between us. And what you talked about in terms of the kind of the opportunities that people have or the lack of opportunities, that that software that they're basically building upon and that's learning to navigate, that's the difference. That's really the difference between us. That's the difference between, you know, me, Thomas, being born in the United States, growing up as a Christian, and me, Thomas, being uh, born in the Middle East and maybe growing up as a Muslim, right? That's the, that's the, the, the impact of our environment on, you know, our software that's, that's, that's running on this hardware. And so it, it is a good reminder for me too to, to, to think about that because there's really not that much of a difference. And that, that actually leads to something that's actually kind of hard to accept is you see people that do maybe these really horrific things in their life or you see people that do truly great things. And you say, fuck, you know, let's take the really, let's take the positive one, say something that does some, you know, truly great. And, you know, whether it just be altruistic or, you know, maybe it's just because we think that they're the next level genius chances are there's not too much of a difference, right? They're within the same realm. It's just that they're being applied in a particular way, their life experiences. And it helps make it really relatable when you see somebody that does something different uh, than how you would do it, is that you, you know, we're all just trying to figure out, you know, how to navigate, to use the software to best run on our hardware to actually navigate through all this. And so I think about that quite a bit when you said, you know, in terms of being able to support somebody, there's just not that much of a difference between you and I really it's kind of a reflection of ourselves and who we are. So yeah, that resonated with me. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you say that like support, I think to a degree, it's not a, it's not a unanimous support, right? I would need to understand the motive or understand a bit the circumstances around, <laughs> right? Because I, I do but, not support all things, of course. Uh, support in the sense you don't look at them and say, well, uh, I'm fucking Dane. I'm better. You know, you, more in terms of the, uh, yeah, you, you're fucking yourself. I'm fucking myself. But, uh, <laughs> more in terms of that you look at it from the perspective of, you know, another human, somebody else that has uh, come to the conclusions and is rationalizing their positions. And then you're listening to that and you're being a part of how they've thought about something. And I think I think the, the underlying, if, if the underlying sort of mentality behind it is that most people, and this is, a perspective not shared by everyone, I would say, but I would say most, if if not the vast majority, like most people have good intentions. There are people with yep. bad intentions and we can jump into the whole sort of dichotomy of good versus bad because that is very subjective, of course. But uh, to, to put it in, in a different light, like good intentions, like something that serves humanity and, and is a net good for humanity that Again, a bit subjective, but most people can agree upon, right? So for example, hmm. if I were to donate, let's say $1,000 to a children's hospital, I would find it very difficult for people to rationalize a position that that is a bad idea. I do not support that idea. Sure, maybe other people may not, if in the same circumstance, have the same action, but it would I would say that it's very difficult to say that was a bad idea or I don't, I don't support that idea. Right. So I think there are generally good things or giving say food to someone who's hungry. Now, maybe you have to 
it, it can get a bit more convoluted, say if we're in the realm of politics and now you have a a body who's representing you making decisions that you may not necessarily agree with, but if we were if we kind of close the scope off a little bit and look more on like a a person to person level interpersonal level rather than a more political kind of government level um generally they support the things that that people do that want to enrich humanity enrich lives and and create a better existence for for everyone and i i find that as as a very powerful sort of means and backbone of why we, we keep living. A lot of people struggle sometimes with thinking, why, why should I do any of this? I've seen mentalities put online of like, Hey, I wasn't born to live. I didn't get to choose to live. Why do I have to do mm. this? Right. And this sort of like, Oh, I, it was, this wasn't my choice. Why do I have to, you know, do this? And I would say that's on a, on a, a, a scale where they, someone sounds like they're, they're struggling, unfortunately. Um, and, and may not be quite be able to, to push through and feel a bit more of a victim, um, which is a mentality we can definitely touch upon. And I would uh, definitely advise to break through and, and, and pivot from uh, as, as much as possible and use that as an opportunity to become stronger as opposed to say, oh, woe is me. Um, that lens that you're talking about, in terms, so a, a couple of things that made me think about. One is like... Uh, uh, and Sam Harris talks about a lot. And it's something so I, I quick, deeply quick, admire. Uh, yeah, so Sam okay. Harris, if you want to give a quick burb about him for anyone who's unfamiliar. Oh my, uh, I'd want to actually pull up his. Uh, uh, firstly, I would say just from, anybody just from that, your yeah from your experience with them. Uh, you 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 know when you actually admire somebody so much that it's hard to you want to give them a proper their 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 their. Oh, so I'm their, sure you can. I have no doubt if with how oh, much you admire him with your what admiration. I would, I would say is for any of those that are really that are interested in ex intellectuals that are really trying to think about what does science here's a good one to get you excited about it or to maybe make you curious not try to rattle off things that Sam Harris has done uh, because I'd probably forget some but Sam Harris has tackled questions about can science actually give us some uh, you know some guide in terms of ob objective morality can it actually tell us can we actually base our uh, our morals our ethics on with science can we actually bootstrap it and get started with that and tackling that kind of a question like if you asked me that fuck i wouldn't even know where to start but you've got somebody that is trying to actually come up with a framework uh to actually start the conversation around thinking about how you could bootstrap how you could actually build a foundation from science to actually answer questions about what is objectively good what is objectively bad and Thinking about it, what you're talking about in terms of donating money and uh, giving people, you know, th doing things that seem objectively good. I was just thinking more in terms of the day to day that I live and thinking about kind of the actions that I do. I generally shift my mindset to say, you know, how does this benefit humanity? Yeah. Is this something in terms of when you're asking the question is what I'm doing objectively good, viewing it from the sense of because it's it can be completely different. You could actually look from a country's perspective. You know, am I doing what my society needs me to do? My country needs me to do. You can say it from, you know, you can go up a couple different levels, but looking at from a uh, from a humanity perspective, and maybe, anyways, what I'm getting at, Dane, you made me think of Star Trek. So that's the that's one of the reasons I actually really like Star Trek, the TV show, is you have humanity. We finally push push past all the bullshit, and somehow, you know, we've we, we probably still have great conversations, great debates, great discourse, but somehow we've all kind of unified. 
right, in terms of doing things not only for the interest of our country or, you know, whatever divide we have, but doing it across the border. So um, wait, wait, so you say we, we've unified as more. How, how, how would that, as if there is a explicit moment or time in which we are no longer ununified, what, what, what's that marker that, that you so clearly see that, that in like the dichotomy between Star Trek, the world and, and our current world? I think the biggest thing, like things that I kind of, I, I start to look and it, granted part of that, part of this is looking at it through rose colored glasses, but what we do in terms of like the United Nations, I actually think there's, there's lots to be, it sounds like to be desired things that we continue to improve on. But the idea that you have a stage for the world, for all the countries to be a part of, to actually give their input where they still get to re retain their, their autonomy, their sovereignty. There's not like that's washed away. Um, one of the things I learned later in life or I really thought about is how much diversity plays a great role in terms of the strength of, you know, the things that we accomplish. And so I, I guess I look at it in terms of there's still a lot of divide. I think there, you know, for the most part, there always be that divide, but there's not a sense right now where I say that, what are we doing as a species, right? That question of what are we doing to progress as a species? I actually don't think there's any unification there. There's things that we've done that I think a unified species would do, right? We'd look for, we'd want to explore our solar system. We'd want to go beyond our solar system. We'd want to think about, you know, how are we going to leave the world, you know, so to speak, better than we, than we found it. But there's things that we do in terms of right now, for the most part, people live, you know, they live their lives in this short little window. You're lucky you get 80, 100 years, 80 to 100 years. And it's hard to think beyond that. It's hard to think how my actions today are actually going to impact the world tomorrow. And so that's, that's kind of what I start to see the shift uh, in mindset, really where how am I contributing not only to a better tomorrow, but how is that kind of influencing the future of that? And how are we making sure that we're kind of progressing in the right direction as a species? So I want to touch on a point you just made that there hasn't been any consensus. Did I understand that right? In the sense that we haven't, progress to something that we're unified like we are we are not unified on anything that is you know to use the phrase like objectively good or we haven't yet unified on on anything like that i mean there's there's spits and starts of that there's things that we kind of you know where we say you know uh, you know the holocaust was objectively bad right yeah. we've we've all come there's things that we all agree across the board where everybody you know even that, there's always an outlier, but let's not worry about the extreme case. For the most part, everybody will agree on some of these, uh, on, on certain things kind of across the board. This was a negative thing, or mm. this is a positive thing. Mm -hmm. But proactively looking at it that way, right, wouldn't that change if you were in terms of the point of view that you had? You know, just even viewing it from the perspective of, I'm going to do this for my family versus I'm going to do this for my country versus I'm going to do this for humanity. Each time you're shifting, and granted, there's a magnitude of difficult uh, difficulty there, but I could imagine as you're applying it to different contexts, what you end up doing could be different, right? Maybe what you're doing is something that's uh, benefiting your, your local, you know, imagine me trying to exploit a resource uh, 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 in Northern California. That's, that's where I'm at. And it's great for Northern California, but it leaves a deficit somewhere else. It ends up putting, you know, another part of the United States and you talk about water rights, sure. Uh, maybe this is somewhere we're starting to, uh, you know, great for California, bad for Colorado, something like that. 
So asking that question is, is this good for California? My answer would be yes. Is this good for the United States? My answer would be no. Right. So just thinking from the different context or the different points of view that you'd have as you kind of shift, you know, going in and going out. I think that's where the I think that's a, a very astute point that you made that the scope of which a deed is done drastically changes the sort of perceived morality behind it. Right. Because if you think oh, yeah, about yeah. it, you know, if you, for example, you completely deconstruct society and let's say we're all, you know, jump back however many tens of thousands of years to where we're all still monkeys. And let's say a monkey grabbed some fruit from the tree, put it on the ground and was distracted by something else. And another monkey took the, the fruit. You know, if you saw a monkey took another monkey fruit from another monkey, it was like, oh, that's a bad monkey. Like he did a bad thing. You know, like that's a bad monkey. It's just like, oh, he just sees an opportunity. Like that's the way that's the way it works when you kind of like look at nature and so it's interesting, right? You, you you scale it and you kind of think you look at it, you know, you look at like theft as in a more modern day example or mm, more mm. perhaps relevant example, right? As so you look at the, the, the scope of someone stealing something, like what, what is the circumstances that, that they are in? Perhaps they're extremely impoverished, which I would not be surprised if that was the case. Um, I don't have any statistics off the top of my height, off my head to justify the, or rather correlate the uh, poverty level versus thief level. But I'd imagine that poverty increases, um, quite linearly with the lack of resources. It's like, well, this person, right. Is sees this institution for, for example, let's use like a massive grocery chain, like Safeway or Vons. And they say this grocery store can, you know, can bear this loss. Like this will mm. not detrimentally affect the company in any means but I get to eat for a day. Right. And it's like, there is a frame in which like, you know, as a greater society is, is shunned upon. Right. And we have laws against because that does not promote what we would agree upon as a greater good. But in that sort of very small scope of just this person needs to survive another day, it's, you know, it's, it's understandable, although not agreeable or, uh, you know, promotable or necessarily behavior I promote is, is, you know, it's like, is that, you know, where, how would it be too far fetched to say that that was good for the human? I mean, in that moment, trying to rationalize and, and support, I mean, I would obviously not, not condone it. And of course not provide that as an option to, to do it. But, you know, circumstances like that, you, you kind of think, and of course, then I guess the, the question kind of comes around, like, how do we lead to a more productive version of that? But that's kind of a, a, uh, that's that's a, next week where Dane will actually has solved. Uh, uh, he's actually figured out crime. objective. Yeah, yep, solve, solve crime. Dane, that's yeah. the goal. The new goal of this podcast. We're going to solve what all crime. What is it? The dog McGruff, the detective. Yeah, I remember that. Dane. Yeah, yeah it'll be Dane. <laughs> that's it. You figured it out. Well, yeah, but but one of the things that I was thinking about, which is uh, where I talk about, you know, uh, going back to my rose-colored glasses and thinking about Star Trek, my utopia. One of the things that I think about a utopia like that, they would not have, I mean, hunger, like we're talking about right now there. I mean, I, I hung, yeah, you'd never be hungry again. That's no right. Ever hungry. No, everybody's just fit. We've solved shredded. hunger. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> shredded. Um, but you, you think about, and this is, this is actually one of these kind of a, amazing 
um, amazing, I, I don't want to say facts, but one of these kind of amazing conclusions that we've done in the 21st century, which is we have the technology now to solve world hunger. Whether or not we practically apply it and say that this is our focus, this is what we're doing as a society, as humans, to make sure that no human will ever, you know, go hungry or it'll be such a rare, you know, it'll be one of the, you know, it'll be rare that it ever happens because they'll always have, there'll always be food. We figured that out as humans. We can produce enough food for the world. That wasn't, you go back 200, 300 years ago, that wasn't the case. You take all humans, the technology wasn't there or the manpower to actually do that. The agriculture wasn't there to support it. But this is something that's one of these kind of this, this really weird conclusion, which is as a society through technology, through our, you know, uh, the, the amazing accomplishments we've done, we could solve world hunger right now. That's there. But as a society, we haven't chose to actually go after that. You see fits and starts of that. You see people making great headway in that. But you could just imagine going back 300 years ago where that's not even on the table. That's still one of these great hurdles where nobody knows how that there, there isn't any way to actually rationalize and say, well, this is how you would do it. We can do that today. And so that's kind of an amazing fact. And then at the same time, uh, it's kind of a, I'll Concerning. use that word. I should, yeah. What do you think? What do you think? Let's, let's, uh, let's explore that a bit. What do you think are some of the factors? I recently read a, or finished reading a book that, actually contradicted with uh, a few points of to bring up Jordan Peterson again uh, made on his most recent appearance of Joe Rogan for those of you familiar with Joe Rogan imagine most people but he he refuted the idea of um, and we're getting again so so Thomas and I had a, a couple of like topics that were like yeah let's kind of steer away from these topics those being like pop culture drama of which we both share very little interest. What's in Dane's closet. That's a big one that we're purposely, <laughs> yeah. we, we're not, not going to talk about no that. Closet. Yeah, yeah. Not going to talk about that. And, uh, yeah. And, and we're not personally, uh, super or in, in like sports. I respect sports in general, but just personal interests we don't have share much of, but, uh, I mean, to touch briefly into it was the idea of, um, UBI. So the book was called Utopia for Realists. I forget the name of the author. It was a it was an interesting book. I would say it's it's uh, a bit provocative to use that word, or or interesting in the sense that there have been studies that have at least that he went over that have proven that giving people money in general helps most people, not all people, mm. people who those who are in an impoverished state, just a un sort of uncensored, just raw, like, you know, here's a grand a month, do whatever you want with it. If it's to buy more drugs, if it's to buy more alcohol, more cigarettes, then that's what you're going to do. And he made a point that it took like two or three years for those who were chronic alcoholics or either living on the street and, and, you know, very, and perhaps like smoking cigarettes, what have you doing, you know, in, inhabiting, sort of habits that we would generally try to steer them away from. All right. Welcome back, everyone. So, Dane, you were just telling us about, uh, or you're bringing up about Jordan Peterson's views on utopia. Is that what it was? Yeah. And, and I think he had, he had men, made a note that one of his clients, that giving the person more money would not have made his situation any better as a, hmm. I believe he's like an alcoholic. And so... 
I said, okay, perhaps that's one. That's a data point of one, though. Let's we need to expand our boundaries a bit outside of you know a singular person. Uh, so I'd be curious to hear what his thoughts are on the studies around uh, universal basic income and, and its efficacy and its ability to raise people. I mean, the book that the title of the book was was pretty bold. I would say anyone who I guess reaches the topic of utopia, you know, has to have a bit of. Uh, charisma or chutzpah to use a Yiddish word um, to bring that up in a way that people would actually be interested in hearing because I would say that's a pretty far-fetched idea although I guess again bringing the whole perspective frame back into mind like we could be living a utopia today right mm, Based I off actually, of, I, you know I really like that yeah I mean so on that note, you look at the past uh, 50 to 100 years, like the fact that you're alive right now, or especially if you're in a privileged country like the United States, the fact that you're here right now, you have access to the, 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 the peak of human knowledge to the internet. You have access to, you know, the fact is if I needed food, if I was starving, I could go get food, right? That's the, you know, in terms of being in it. So you're right. This is, in effect, I mean, is this a utopia, right? I mean, by the standards, relative standards, I could absolutely believe that this is a utopia. Like, okay. if I go back, compare it to a caveman who's having to, you know, uh, worry about where he's going to find shelter or what he's going to eat or what's going to eat him. You know, the lie. <laughs> there you <laughs> yeah. go, right? Yeah. So fair, fair enough. I don't have any of those. So I guess... Um, it's relative, and by that standard, this could be considered a utopia. That's actually a pretty good idea or insight. And that's and that's what's exciting to me too. Is like, all right, if if we're in a utopia right now, based off of a thousand years ago, two thousand, five thousand, what does a utopia in the future look like right now? Mm. Is it possible? This is a, a a question I asked at, at the Savior last night to some of the guests who had come. Is is it possible to? remove or like the idea of, of would, would we be able to trust enough people in the world where things like physical security is no longer an issue? And his question was pretty quick rebuttal of no, there's no way that that would ever happen. But what if we could all evolve as human beings to not have to expend finances and mental energy to protect one another from each other, right? And we could trust one another enough to put all of that in money. Like if you think about that on a, a more macro scale as opposed to a micro scale, like what if we, the, the entire world all came together to the consensus that we will respect each other's boundaries and we will like the whole world will demilitarize, right? We will no longer need perhaps maybe on a, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult and, and challenging, I think reality or world to imagine because to a degree that leaves everyone vulnerable, right? But I think that's, I think vulnerability is an extremely powerful mentality and, and something that I generally support people pursuing being vulnerable in more things because it only allows trust to be built and genuine connection to be made with whomever um, they're being vulnerable to, as long as it's not abusive, of course. But like, you know, say a world where we no longer need to spend tens, hundreds of billions of dollars as a species in these devices that enforce, you know, geopolitical boundaries. And instead we can put all that money into exactly like you said, solving world hunger or completely 
completely removing poverty from the world where no human being ever has to live on the street, right? Well, like, I, I, I'm still kind of on that. That's, that's actually kind of one of those uh, a good shift for me when I'm thinking about that, which is there's a sense when I describe or talk about utopia that it's fixed. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that that my utopia is your utopia, that we all know what utopia is. Like it's in the, you know, it's a, it's almost, there's this, it, it's not subtle at all once you think about it. It's really a store that what I would picture as an ideal utopia would be complete, could be drastically different uh, to the point where it's almost opposed with your utopia. And so that's another interesting thought. Uh, I, I definitely uh, re reflect on that more. Yeah, where, where would you say, I mean, Although that that does still come into play with the topics we were discussing before as like an objective good, right? So like what if this utopia was a manifestation of that objective good? I agree with the fact that there will be different definitions and that utopia isn't fixed in the sense that no progress ever has. I mean, there is, I guess, discrete goals that one can accomplish. Like, hey, we've lowered the rate of... Of like child mortality down to less than a percent, you know, like that's goals, that's progress, right? But there's always more progress to be made. Progress is never done. There's never a full progression, right? And so I agree with you when you say there's no fixed utopia in the sense that utopia will always be better than what is currently available and that there is no absolute best, right? Yeah, it was, you know, I was just thinking it's that the, it kind of is analogous to me or the way I'm thinking about it right now is that you look at what when people make predictions about what technology will be like in 10, 20 years, you know, the, the 1940s or 50s, we're on the moon, we're fishing on the moon or silly things on the moon that you could, we have moon, moon bases and all these different things. And you, the, the idea that you could apply that to a utopia, you could try to predict what it would be, but there are questions that will arise along that journey that you don't even know to think about, that you don't even know if that should be a part of the utopia, right? You could imagine all these complex things like uh, we talk about today, like trans transgender, right? That wasn't anything we talked about in the 1950s. That wasn't anything that we would have thought would have been in our utopia, right? Where we'd have to actually think to ask that question is, what would a utopia look like for, you know, people of, that identify themselves differently? It wasn't yeah. a question. It wasn't anything that was thought about. So we don't even know the questions to ask or to the, 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 the questions to think about, about what this utopia would be like yet, because they haven't been thought of yet. They haven't been societally. It hasn't been a challenge. It hasn't been something we've been faced with yet. So that's, that's definitely an interesting thought. Although I feel like there are some things that are pretty concrete, right? When it comes to uh, progress, right? Like, yeah death yeah, yeah, adolescent can, can bring, death and yeah yeah, yeah. We, we can start to bring it down a little bit we don't need to get too far out there but yeah, yeah. There, are, there are some things where i think that uh almost in every version uh, in almost in all versions of a utopia you would see it kind of an underlying theme right yeah. where these things would be solved for so I, I agree with that yeah you know a couple a lot of those were, were illustrated in uh, the book enlightenment now by stephen pinker which is a uh, fun fact, Bill Gates' favorite book. It's basically an annotation of, I want to say somewhere around 200 different graphs, which if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, is available on ourworldanddata.org. Are and you plugging? What's that? 
<laughs> I, I, I and Dane, money I be- by, by check, Steven Pinker? Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I, be- I believe it's available for a limited time only. <laughs> Using discount code overview effect 20 for 20% yeah, purchase. Yeah, that's right. Uh, someday, someday. But no, but he, he was talking about all these facets that illustrate that we are living at the pinnacle of humanity, like we touched upon, mm. essentially with child mortality rates being at the lowest, child literacy rates and just general literacy rates being at its highest, death by disease being at its lowest, um, all these various metrics in, involving generally mortality or health or education being all at their respective highs or lows um, in, in, in history. And so, you know, you think about things like that and you just kind of like follow the progression of, of these things like, okay, what if all of this is, you know, that's an interesting idea. Like can disease be eradicated irrevocably? Mm, mm. You know, just, I, I have a funny mental aside that I was just thinking about, which is, uh, the, you know, the, what you're talking about, the idea that you don't know that you're in that utopia, you know, really, if we could, you know, predict the future and we're able to play that out, that you actually find out that this was as good as it got right in the 21st century, we, we achieved this pinnacle, right. And the idea that you're driving, like when you're lost or you're trying to follow, you know, follow the road signs or the highway signs, you're driving down the highway. And then you see, you know, utopia and it's in the rear view mirror. You're past it. You're 20 miles past it. It's in the rear view mirror. You're it's you're ready too far. And so I was kind of thinking about it like that. Where I mean, that means yeah, that's, that's into dystopia, right? That's naturally, uh, right? I mean, yeah, more that you're kind yeah. of like a this this, you know, we kind of reach this pinnacle and then we're moving away from it now. Maybe mm. that you actually start where, you know, that the fact is and a, a really simple way to, you know, that resources are finite. Right. And so at some point, you know. Granted, we might come up with alternatives, but the exploitation of a particular resource because it's just easy to get, right? There's the low-hanging fruit in terms of being able to get coal from the earth. It's really easy right now. And fortunately for us, our generation, you know, there's very little repercussions that we see right now uh, in terms of you see that it's going to get worse and worse and worse in terms of climate change. But we see very little impact from right now that really disrupts our day-to-day. The fact is, you know, we're still able to do everything that we want to do. We still have all these resources, but um, you could just imagine that there is this kind of this peak and potentially that that's in the rearview mirror. I mean, look, look at like, in- yeah, not World War II, I would say absolutely. Although from an economic scale, the United States is great for the economy, which is a very strange sort of indirect or direct, uh, well, I guess a, a silver lining to a degree, but I would say most generally in a grand scale of things that you know, global wars are a net negative, but you could see that as like a local trough, like peaks and trough, right? We worked up to the 1940s and then World War II happened, although economy was, you know, is wartime economy is, is generally good, which is a bit strange. Um, and maybe we can discuss that a bit more in the future, but right, just like mass genocide, us, we're killing each other and a lot of death uh, involved around power conflict um, is generally not a net good for the world and a bit of a, you know, again, the like recession in the 1920s, that's a bit of a, like a trough when, whenever there's economic hardship, but yeah, I would, I would say there's never, it's, it's kind of like a dance, right? There's never any straight line. I think that's pretty, pretty easy to, or, or pretty similar to individual life trajectories. Like mm. There's never any like straight line of progress, right? It's always just kind of like zigzag. I'll I'll throw one at you because that's what you made me think of right now, which you're talking about, you know, you would say, you know, I don't think anybody would disagree what happened in World War Two. There was awful, you know, awful things that happened in World War Two. Um, but you had something, the silver lining was the right 
phrase, you had something great come out of it. So what is what it takes to get to the next magnitude, the next level of, mm. you know, this utopia is actually something almost catastrophic, catastrophic happening. What if it took, you know, a meteor heading towards Earth for, you know, to kind of reach that new age? Or that is that ingredient or that variable says that there needs to be some great obstacle that's yep. placed in our way to actually overcome it. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a very pertinent thing, especially with uh, the whole situation you see, you know, overseas and in, in Ukraine right now, like people find new meaning in life. And that was something that was discussed, um, as well in an episode I'd listened to of, of Joe Rogan recently, where these people have this renewed sort of sense of belonging, not only belonging, but purpose, right? It's like, Hey, we are to unite against this, this common enemy that is, you know, the Russian forces. And they were, it, it was discussed that, you know, after war is over and they're done and you kind of get into this, he had, he had talked about a, a movie that was quite interesting. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be Gattaca. No, not, no, not Gattaca. It was, <laughs> it was, uh, basically illustrating the, the point of that war is such a like heightened state of being that once you come back into this sort of hum and drum way of life that it's just not nearly as stimulating and people miss people miss mm. this sort of camaraderie this fighting for a goal sort of mentality that they will have only been able to uh, i guess express and become like intertwined with in, in a wartime environment and you know you almost need and, and that was also an idea is like you almost need struggle in order to give people like this this sense of purpose and the sense of yeah. like yeah and it's the tying that back to what the, i know that's often uh, a challenge when people talk about universal basic income right which is well if you're going to if you're going to make sure that i have what i need to survive then why am i going to do it why am i you know am I, is, there, is there going to be a reduction in entrepreneurs is there going to be people who are kind of complacent i mean mm -hmm. what's the purpose if you're yeah. providing for my way and yeah. so i think that that's uh, it's, it's the kind of the yin and yang. It's really interesting mm. that, that it, it really does feel that way where there's this constant ebb and flow where you almost need that pendulum. If I'm thinking about it, swinging yeah. back and forth, yep. you can't have it stop, you know, right when it's, or it's at its peak, it's at, you know, the, the happiest you've ever been. And cause as soon as you do that, you just kind of shift the, the mile marker. It just becomes, that's where the middle is now. And then how do I get further than that? And then it kind of goes ebb, ebb and flows back and forth. Yeah, there was, I feel like that's, uh, and you use the sort of paradigm of, of yin and yang. That's actually a kind of a personal favorite of mine in terms of explaining these, this, this, this sort of almost universal, like diametric opposing forces of strength and weakness, um, strong and, and succumbing. And it's, it's, I, feel, I find I could, I can use that. So in so many different, you know, places. All right, and we are back after some minor technical difficulties. To retrace our steps, we were discussing the sort of pendulum effect of progress, how it's never straightforward, and I talked about how I like the sort of paradigm of yin and yang. Not even that it's not straightforward. That's almost we're kind of drawing or touching upon that there may be some necessity mm. that you need you need this you need something that's diametrically opposed to to, to have any kind of growth or happiness that we're talking about you need something you need to live uh 
in the boundaries of yin and yang on that border somewhere. It's not just being completely on one side or the other. It's almost where we're saying that there's something important to be in between. And maybe you can say that, well, I want to be a little more offset, you know, in this direction, but there's something important to be uh, maybe more centered than it is to be far out into the most positive aspects or into the most negatives. You want, kind of want the balance there. That's what I was thinking about. Two things come to mind. One is the idea that you had discussed about the most comfortable chair as was oh, yeah. brought to your attention by oh, may I? only Sam Harris. Yes. Sam Harris, who I refuse to give a proper intro to because I still <laughs> feel like I won't do him justice. Uh, but uh, one of the Sam, Sam Harris uh, uh, thought experiments that he does is um, being uh, talking about being comfortable and talking about how there's this need, this desire um, to keep pushing the boundary, to keep working towards something more than what it is that you have. And he describes a scenario and he kind of paints this picture. He says, imagine the most comfortable chair that you could possibly ever imagine. I don't know, any the, 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 the ultimate of lazy boys. It's the perfect lazy boy. Um, it's the most comfortable chair and you sit down in it and it, it's the most bliss euphoric experience you could possibly have from sitting whatever that is. And just take it away right now that you don't have any cares in the world. You're just sitting. It is, it is this euphoric moment and let it play out. Let it go for a minute or two. And so, okay, you could say after two minutes, right? Everything's still, everything's still euphoric. It's still an amazing experience. Oh boy, this lazy boy. But now play it out five minutes, play it out 10 minutes, go ahead and play it out an hour. And this experience that it was the most enjoyable experience that you could possibly imagine having all of a sudden, after a certain period of time, it becomes excruciating. It becomes the thing that you want nothing, you don't want to have another moment of it. You've been sitting there for in an hour, and you couldn't imagine possibly sitting there for one more minute. It's interesting that you say that, because I feel like the, the ultimate comfort, I was doing some, some meditation last night before going to sleep, and... I find that that almost like a bit analogous to not to say that meditation necessarily is a direct, I guess, means of attaining comfort or ultimate comfort of sorts, but there is a bit of sort of inner peace. I would kind of relate to comfort in a sense, not in a sort of physical sense, but more so in kind of like this blend of mental and physical sense, perhaps even, you know, to use the word spiritual sense of just, um, just create, you know, there's, there's so many words I think that have tried to describe this state of kind of like flow or like meditation or nirvana, um, to use a couple. And I kind of use that. Like, I know there's like, if you're in this state of, of, you know, trance or, or meditation that, it can be very uh, comfortable and very, although I don't know if I would use the word comfortable per se, but I would say that's not necessarily out of the scope of the vocabulary I would use to kind of describe, you know, that state is like comfort and, and peace and like being okay and appreciating sort of the beauty of, of the moment, right? And so it almost seems to be a, a bit at odds with that to say, like, hey, if you meditate too long, you're going to start hating your life, right? I'm, I'm kind of curious, how, how would you sort of play with that idea? Mm. 
I can maybe speak from, from my own experience, which is, so I'm, I'm big into meditation in terms of uh, mindfulness meditation. So, and, uh, and, and really for everybody, what that is, is really just kind of um, trying to be as plugged in uh, to your body as you can be. And what, what I mean by that is just being aware of the different sensations that you have. So an example of this, like the, the best example of meditation that's, is, uh, or uh, uh, of this practice is focusing on the breath, right? starting just to, to be kind of enveloping yourself up when you're breathing in and when you're breathing out. And then we talk about it as an object of meditation. It's something that you focus on. And then what you're supposed to do is kind of expand that into the mindfulness aspect, which is as you start focusing, shifting your focus from just this object, and you're not doing it intentionally, you're just trying to keep yourself open. You're trying to be a mirror, so to speak. Things are kind of bouncing off you, reflecting off you. And to just be aware of the sensations that you experience, whether it be, uh, and you're usually doing this with your eyes closed, but you can do it with your eyes open, is the different you know, shades of darkness that you see, the different humming or the different background noise, or maybe the tingling in your face or the, the sense of temperature in your hands being slightly colder. And it, it can be pretty overwhelming to have all these kind of different sensations going on. And overwhelming in a in a good way uh as much as i can kind of try to describe it um it, it is something that's very powerful uh, and i've noticed a tendency which uh, i do find really interesting is i've noticed a tendency to lose all track of time um and what what i mean by that is you could generally say you know uh, thomas i'm going to check back on you and or tell me when it's been 15 minutes right and like i you know within ballpark i'd be i'm sure not very accurate but i had i'd have a sense of what that 15 minutes is or 10 minutes but with meditation man uh you kind of lose all sense of time there isn't a, a real discreet way or at least not anything that i've experienced where i say oh, okay 20, it's been 20 minutes i've been meditating you kind of just fully get uh enveloped in meditation that being said though there still is the sensation so this mindfulness practice that i'm talking about you still feel all the sensations that, uh, you know, the, the scenario we're talking about of sitting in the most comfortable chair you could imagine, you still feel the sensations, at least I do when I meditate, that I, this is getting uncomfortable, I need to move, mm. right? And uh, the way that uh, Sam Harris talks about it, and I've always found it very elegant and it stayed with me, is he talks about these sensations, he, he analogizes them as waves. You can think about waves on an ocean moving by, and you have a choice, right? Uh, the choice is that you can be hit by the wave. You can kind of give in to that emotion and you know, uh, you know, let it dictate maybe what your next move is going to be, or you can just be aware of that. You, can, you have a sense of it, and it'll pass. It'll move on, and then maybe you know, there'll be a bigger wave right behind it. But that sense is still there, and it does become harder and harder, right, in terms of comfortability, where at least for me, and maybe that's with more practice, you do better and better with that. But I don't think it ever goes away, that sensation, you're plugged into it, and maybe you are able to kind of uh, uh, be less susceptible to it, but it's still there. There's still some drive, just like you're going to get hungry, you're going to want to go move, you're going to want to go, you know, go piss, whatever it is. Yeah, and you had mentioned before meditation with eyes closed versus eyes open, and that was actually an idea that was foreign to me up until before I had done the introductory meditation course through Waking Up Sam Harris's Meditation Act. 
was the idea of, of meditating with my eyes open. And that had, ne that had never occurred to me before as something that could happen. And now I kind of play around with that idea that sometimes there's times in a day where uh, my, the thoughts that come into my head are no longer entertaining or I find productive or something I want to continue and, and would rather immerse myself in the moment. And, and the time that happened to me most recently of this was was uh, walking back from the gym and it was a beautiful day. And I think that sort of helped me get into, I would I would definitely say this more meditative state where it was a beautiful day in New York. You know, they, they are rare. They're not, they don't come across that often. And so I think this sort of immersion in to the environment helped me sort of like, okay, I'm, I do, I do recognize these thoughts I have in my mind right now, but I'm just going to go ahead and allow them to come and go and focus right here and now on all the sounds, the sounds and the sights for me were enough to distract my, or perhaps not distract, but focus more. So help me focus more so on the moment and all the things going around and wow, it was, it was quite an experience. And it's so crazy to think about this experience is so readily available at every time of the day, essentially anywhere. But I think just having this, this beautiful day outside, New York was this sort of strange environment to me specifically having only been here for about a month, a couple months now and, and whether that generally is not very pleasurable and, you know, here's this other circumstances kind of allowed me to be, wow, this is quite unique of an experience. Let's, you know, take the, the effort to fully appreciate it. And it was, it was, it was pretty awesome. It w it really was. It was especially in, in New York, a, a place where there's many, many different types of, of stimulation. And the track had kind of come into my mind. I, I recently looked it up, but uh, some music I was listening to had overlaid a dialogue of Alan Watts of his sort of description of meditation. And it's the, and I, and I really, I really liked it was essentially the idea of just listen to all the sounds without any judgment or any mm. value. There's no, he used the word, what was it? Um, I think purposeful or unpurposeful. I, th I don't think those were the words. I'm forgetting them at the moment. But he said there there are no essentially right or wrong song sounds. There are no like good or bad sounds, bad or or good or bad sounds. Just remove all judgment from a sound, and just embrace the sound as it is coming to your ear, eardrum, playing with your eardrum. And just focus on all the sounds and you could do that with all of your senses like oh this is a bad sound or a good sound and it was it i was that, that sort of mentality i was um, kind of going through my head as i was taking this walk back from the gym and it was was spot on and you know made made the experience quite wonderful and i think that's a great i think a good mentality a lot of people especially in new york can have especially when there's fraught with a lot of loud people can can call them and I can understand them calling them uh, unpleasurable sounds when it comes to honking when it comes to sirens when it comes to construction that was actually a complaint of the former tenants of where I'm currently living in the apartment was that there's a lot of construction noise that drove them crazy it's like okay well you could choose to be driven crazy by this noise or you can just frame it as oh it's it's construction noise now I understand if it's impairing with your ability to sleep in the middle of the night but it wasn't because it's 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., right? So, you know, it's just this sort of knee-jerk reaction for a lot of people like, oh, this is noise that I don't want to hear. And they make the choice that they don't want to hear it. And because they don't want to hear it, now it becomes a bad sound, right? 
I totally understand when it infringes upon something more desirable, like, you know, restful sleep. You know, it's, it's hard to argue that people, you know, you would want to hear an ambulance in the middle of your, in the middle of the night to, it'd be a bit of a stretch rather to say, though, this is, this is a pleasurable sound, even though it's interrupting me from my sleep. I'm sure people could do it and, you know, all power to them uh, if they can. Um, but yeah. No, I like I like you sharing your experience on meditation, and I, I didn't uh, I didn't catch if you've been doing it for a long time or not, Dane, or if it's relatively uh, you're relatively new to it. I've done it well, not consistently. I don't have any daily practice um, for for meditation, but I do on uh, I would say a more frequent basis, probably at least once a week. I would say meditate uh, to some degree, sometimes as small as you know, a couple of minutes, sometimes longer as up, up to a half an hour. Um, and I've been doing that for consistently, I'd say for probably about a year of, of varying frequency. Sometimes I'll ramp up my, yeah, my meditation. Sometimes it will kind of fade naturally again, back to the uh, pendulum sort of analogy. And I, I think it's important to, like, and I'm not sure where the stigmatism comes from, or I guess it's maybe where I think of when I think of, uh, prior to actually, uh, I probably got pretty heavy into meditation maybe two or three years ago. Uh, say that's about right. Um, but I think prior to that, there's this sense, and I don't know if it's Western culture or just how I grew up or anything like that, but there's this sense of tying meditation directly to religion. Mm. And for for yeah. me, that's something that I, I uh, and there's a whole different conversation to talk about in terms of, you know, how I've come to a conclusion, how I'm on the side of the atheist. Uh, but I'm not willing to open up at this very moment because it's a long one. But the idea of meditation never really appealed to me because of that. I always coupled it mm. to a religious experience and that it wasn't for anybody uh, that, that you couldn't just, you know, separate maybe the spiritual side of it from, you know, the, the religious religious side of it. And it was uh, throughout of, you know, wanting to try to understand and calm my mind and being able to be more plugged in, I guess, uh, and being curious about things as I got older. And obviously having somebody like Sam Harris, who is well-respected and who I absolutely refuse to give any introduction to, <laughs> um, uh, he, he turned me on to it, where it was, it was something I was really curious about. And... I wasn't sure how somebody who I look at as, you know, viewing the world in, you know, the utmost of scientific, the scientific glasses and trying to deconstruct it and rationalize every bit of it, how he would try to couple this to how he'd try to, you know, convey meditation without, to me, without trying to bring in maybe uh, religious aspects. How's that going to work? And being able to go through that practice of, uh, or practicing meditation and doing that, I would say, like, if I if I kind of lay out, you know, my time and all the things that I've learned uh, and, you know, the many things that I'd say, oh, if I had a do-over card, gosh, uh, getting myself to practice meditation earlier on um, to actually dedicate a little bit more of my time, my youth to that, I think would have been tremendously valuable for me uh, because I found such value and peace in it uh, later on there it's a very unique experience it's really hard to relate um and it's as an aside i really enjoy listening to people talk about uh their uh, especially people that are more scientifically literate or maybe uh are practicing scientists or in some kind of ology you know scientific field because there's this translation game that happens it's our vocabulary isn't really great 
in terms of trying to describe these kinds of experiences. I mean, by their, you know, their own definition, they're really hard to describe their feelings. It's, it's really hard to give, to convey, you know, Dane, this is what the color red looks like. Let's see how successful you are with that. You know, it's really hard to relate these experiences. And you'll, you'll hear this initial, like Sam Harrison, when he's talking to other people about meditation, you actually find out that there's almost like where they need to sink. They almost need to do a handshake at mm. first so that the terms that they've used to describe their experiences, yeah. they almost need to agree on what those terms are to then they're in sync and then they move on. And I've noticed that you kind of feel the sense of when you go through these experiences of meditation, get a taste of it. You get this sense of almost like being uh, kind of a kid again with that level of curiosity. And you want to describe it. You want to go tell people about this experience that you had and you want to use, you know, see if they've had this experience, you want to share in it. And it almost feels like you're a kid because you're trying to describe it to the best of your abilities, but you realize that your vocabulary isn't really geared, isn't sharpened in that regards to be able to describe this experience. And so it's really challenging. You know, it kind of reminds me of when you go to the doctor and they say, you know, one through, you know, which face describes your level of pain? You know, the, the one end, there's the, the sad face that's going to blow his brains out. And the other hand, there's the, you know, the happy face that's being jerked off. You know, where, where, what face are you in between? And so, the, you know, what's your pain level? And that's kind of what it reminds me of. It's really hard to describe the experience, but I, it's something that I absolutely uh, uh, don't regret investing the time into. Um, and I found it deeply satisfying for myself. Absolutely. And uh, I think on that note, we'll, we'll cap it off for episode number one of the overview effect. I have something uh, pretty profound experience we've we've both shared and i think that's a kind of great great note to end it on for all you all you viewers out there definitely highly recommend meditation in in some sense or form and uh yeah thanks so much for listening to the first episode and stay tuned for the next one